0: chapter 12 of the splendid outcast by george gibbs this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tony oliva quinlevin speaks a moment longer she waited summoning calm and resolution when the knocking on the door began again and her name was called coming she replied looking around the studio keenly and then catching sight of jim horton's hat whisked it under the couch and then opened the door barry quinlevin came in harry carrying his bag with a gay laugh he caught moira into his arms well it's joyful i am to be back dusty and unwashed but none the less glad to be here how are you child by the amount of time you took opening the door i thought you might be dead i'm very tired she murmured i've not been up to the mark he held her off and looked at her in the dim light of the gas jet a little peaky eh? too much moping in the dark let's have some lights and a drink of the irish twill do none of us a harm he moved into the studio and harry horton set the bag down did you have a successful trip asked moira putting more color into her voice than she felt so so said quinlevin a bottle moira and some glasses and water and when she had obeyed there the very sight of it's already making a new man of me harry boy your health moira sat and listened while he described the incidents of his trip harry could not meet her look but she saw that he drank sparingly as for her father she watched him in silence aware of his flamboyant grace and charm again incredulous as to the things she knew of him but his letter to harry in her shirt-waist seemed to be burning the fair skin of her breast to remind her of his venality on his way to the bottle he pinched her pale cheeks between his long fingers where's your spirit girl you look as though you'd been hearing a banshee a fine husband you got and all to be putting lilies in your cheek instead of roses she stays in the studio too much put in harry uneasily a good jumper and a few stone walls of county galway would set you right in a jiffy we'll be taking you there one day soon i'm thinking if you don't come to life what is it child oh nothing i'm just tired he took his glass and held it to the light with a critical air maybe it's better if you go to bed then i'll just clean up a bit and then come back and have a talk with you harry boy and finishing his glass he took up his bag and went into his room to cleanse himself leaving moira alone with harry she was very uncomfortable and sat wondering what ruse she could find to get rid of them harry fumbled at his glass nervously you're going to tell him he asked she shrugged of course she said coolly the farce has gone on long enough yes he muttered perhaps you're right i'll tell him myself to-night thanks she said quietly it would be better they seemed to have very little to say she saw harry furtively looking at her but she was oblivious of him for her thoughts were beyond him over his head in the paint closet where jim horton sat uncomfortably awaiting the moment of release but how could she effect it now it seemed almost enough of luck to have hidden jim horton's hat before they had entered she knew that his predicament was hardly to his liking and in spite of her entreaties feared that any moment he might be opening the door and facing the situation and when barry quinlevin returned to the room in a moment his face shining with his vigorous ablutions any immediate hopes she may have had of jim's release were dashed to the ground you'd better be going to your room child and get your beauty sleep he said i want to talk to harry that he wanted to be alone with her husband was evident and the request was something in the nature of a command still wondering what she had better do she got up and moved slowly toward the door into the kitchen they would talk she would watch at the door and listen very well she said languidly perhaps i'll feel better if i lie down for a while and went out of the room closing the door behind her but she did not go into her room all alive with uncertainty and apprehension she crouched by the door listening intently the keyhole was large through it she could see the closet upon the opposite side of the studio where jim was concealed and what they said she could hear distinctly well harry boy said quinlevin here we are again and with nor a close at hand ready for the coup there can't be any haggling or boggling now a clean million we'll get from it or my name's not b q did you have any trouble getting nora to come a little but five thousand pounds settles her business nora was always a bit of a rogue but she couldn't deny real genius and then a bit of blarney but the birth certificate here producing his pocket case a little mildewed and rumpled from hiding in the mattresses and the like but still quite legible see patrice a little hard to read you see patricia it is patricia madeleine aulnay de vautrin female me boy born august seventh in the year of our lord eighteen ninety seven signed by the doctor dominique finucane and attested by the parish priest a little illegible in certain notable places but all quite straight and proper he can't go back of that and the other servant who knew dead as a herring fortnight ago. you'll admit most fortuitously for i can't keep the whole of county galway under my hat harry horton frowned no and you can't keep moira there either what do you mean merely that she'll put a spoke in your wheel if you're not careful quinlevin laughed i won't worry about that ridge until i come to it she won't object to taking her place in the world as the duchesse de Vautrin. he broke off abruptly what's that did moira call i didn't hear anything i've got the fidgets then i'd be having to give her up if monsieur the Duke should take a fancy to her but you needn't fear he won't he's too self-centered and well out of it at a million francs ah he'll wriggle and squirm a bit on the hook but he'll pay in the end or we'll gaff him for the whole estate he stopped and carefully cut the end from a cigar do you think by any chance that piquette moran could have done any talking why do you ask because four months ago monsieur the duke was in ireland asking questions who told you this nora burke he got nothing from her she knew which side her bread was buttered on but that's what made her squeamish when my allowance stopped coming to her i see and you've paid her something yes in the devil's own time i had getting it together i'm thinking i've squared accounts with you already in all this business but harry horton had gotten up and poured himself out a stiff drink of the whiskey which he drained hurriedly i don't like it he muttered uneasily what this de vautrin business quinlevin calmly stared at him your feet are getting cold now harry took a pace or two trying to find his words and then things haven't been going right here since uh, since you left i see said quinlevin with a shrug you and more i haven't been hitting it off no and it's worse than that barry quinlevin leaned forward his shaggy brows thatched unpleasantly what the devil are you talking about i i've got to tell you you'd be obliging me if you would harry met the sharp look of the older man and then his gaze flickered and fell as he sank into his chair again You you've heard me speak of my twin brother jim he asked after a moment the railroad man you quarreled with over the trifling matter of an estate well what of him he's turned up here in paris what have you got to do with him more than you think i've got to tell you what has happened and it's plenty it's been h and repeat d him at least laughed the irishman he seems to gain no new place in your affection no nor will he in yours when you have the facts go on i'm listening and slowly halting here and there for a word or a phrase that would put a better construction on his own share in the affair he told quinlevin of the substitution of jim horton for himself and of the events that had followed including his return to paris and the desperate means he had taken to regain his own identity of moira he spoke nothing but as the situation was revealed with all its hazards to the success of their intrigue from an attitude of polite attention with which he had listened at first quinlevin became eagerly and anxiously absorbed interjecting question after question while his iridescent eyes glowed under his frowning brows and his long bony fingers clutched his chair arm by degrees the full meaning of the revelation came to him its relation to harry's future to the matter of the duke to moira but as he grew more furious he grew more pale more calm and listened in a silence punctuated by brief questions to the conclusion of the story a little contemptuous of the nervousness of his companion reading below the thin veneer of braggadocio the meanings that the young man strove to conceal so he said coolly ye've gone and let us all in for a nice mess of broth shell shock (laughs) and ye'll let a man be tearing the uniform off ye very back when in your honors for ye he rose and stood at his full height looking down at the figure in the opposite chair and moira he asked he came here to this apartment when he left the hospital she did not guess nor you said harry with some spirit since you invited him here true for ye i did bad says to him he broke off and took a pace toward the lay figure in the corner and back and then this is a bad business he said soberly and you don't know where he is at the present moment no he got away clean through a passage to the river you've no idea who helped him no and tricot's no fool nor pochard but they lack imagination like yourself Harry Horton aroused himself. He was drugged, I tell you, to the limit. I saw him before I came here to see Moira. He was clean out. Tricot was for dropping him into the river when we got him. But I wouldn't let them do that. No, not that. You are always lacking in a pinch, Harry. But my brother, my own brother. Quinlevin shrugged i can see your scruples a brother's a brother even if he does wean away your wife harry started up his face livid at the cool insulting tones and ye can't blame moira continued quinlevin coolly if he's turned out a better man than yourself his fiery eyes burned in his pale face and challenged the other man intimidated him until the hot words on harry's tongue died unuttered a fine mess and he's no baby this frolicsome brother of yours how much does he know of the de vautrin affair? enough muttered harry sullenly from the letters and what you told him in the hospital he can't go far he broke off and then with a quick change into eager inquiry he'd hardly have had time to find the Duke. and if he did no said harry sullenly de vautrin is in nice good then we'll have time for what to meet the situation as it should be met i intend to take a hand in this affair myself what can you do i'll find a way there's one thing sure i don't intend to have the ingenious plans of half a lifetime spoiled by any blundering haymaker from kansas city he's not my brother i won't have your scruples and if moira has learned to be fond of him so much the worse for her i asked her to marry you because i didn't want any strange young man to come poking about my affairs or hers she's a good girl too good for the likes of either of us she was never much after the men being wedded to her art and i thought you'd do as well as another that she'd make good over here and turn out the husband she deserved he paused to give his words more weight instead of making good you've made a mess of it to say nothing of falling short with moira i might have known but it's too late now for me to be crying over my spilt milk or yours and whatever happens i'd like you to know my boy that this affair means too much to be balked for a mere sentiment if she doesn't love you that's your own affair and as for your brother jim all i say is let him look out for himself he had sunk into his chair again his lips compressed his eyes closed to narrow slips and his voice husky a moment ago with his passion enunciating his words with icy precision but how are you going to find him haven't i told you that he slipped away lost in paris and you know what that means how could he slip away drugged after being knocked out and unconscious he leaned forward in his chair his white fist clenched on the table somebody helped him it's not possible why not how do you know you were all so frightened of the police that you took to your heels without a look around but nobody but pochard's crowd knew about the old passage to the river then somebody in pochard's crowd did the helping it can't be they're all in on it quinlevin shrugged perhaps but i'll be looking into that phase of the question myself go ahead i wish you luck but how is that going to help it'll find jim horton and that's the only matter i'm concerned about there was a pause and another voice broke the silence and when you find him what will you do about it in her place of concealment moira trembled at the sound for there was a harsh scraping of chairs as Harry and quinlevin rose startled and faced Jim Horton who had opened the door of the closet and stood revealed before them. Harry Horton drew back a pace, leaning on a chair, his face gray, then purple again. Quinlevin stared, one eye squinting, his face distorted in surprise and curiosity at the astonishing apparition. So he said, the skeleton in the closet you'll find me far from that said jim horton striding forward to within a few paces of them you thought i might be hard to find i'll save you that trouble i see said the irishman finding his composure and a smile so you're the interloper the comic tragedian of the piece, all primed and set for trouble well i can't say that you'll be disappointed he reached deliberately for his trousers pocket and drew out a weapon but jim leaped for him at the same time that moira rushing into the room shrieked quinlevin's name the sound disconcerted him and the shot went wild and before he could shoot again jim horton had caught his arm and given his wrist a vicious twist which wrenched the weapon away and sent him hurling into a chair harry horton hadn't moved his feet seemed riveted to the floor father moira gasped her face white as paper you might have killed him that was the exact intention said quinlevin making a wry face and nursing his wrist but jim horton frowning at the two men held the weapon in his hand in command of the situation why did you come out jim why moira pleaded wringing her fingers and staring from one to the other but jim horton didn't even hear her his gaze was fixed steadily on barry quinlevin who had shrugged himself back into self-possession and was smiling up at the intruder as though in appreciation of an admirable joke we'd better have this thing out you and i said jim coolly eliminating harry from the discussion by all means said quinlevin and i'm glad you know a real enemy when you see one you've hardly left any doubt about that there's not much to say except that you're not going to drag moira into this dirty business with the duke do i make myself clear perfectly but you'll hardly be less perspicuous if the muzzle of the revolver is twisted a bit to one side it's a hair-trigger thanks as you were saying i won't waste words i gave harry his warning instead of heeding it he hired a pair of thugs to put me out of business but i'll take no chances for the future i'm in no mood to die just yet i like your nerve jim horton i may add it suffers no disadvantage in comparison to your twin brother he shrugged and folded his arms well you seem to have turned the odd tricks the ace of clubs the ace of hearts now what are you going to be doing with us all entirely i told harry what i'd do and i'll repeat it now drop this affair of the duc de vautrin without dragging moira through the dirty mess and i quit leaving harry with his rank and honors and if i refuse jim horton shrugged carelessly i tell the truth that's all brevity is the soul of wit permit me to say that i admire the succinctness of your statement but the alternative is impossible you mean that you'll go on with this affair you guessed it me son as sure as ever you find it convenient to remove the imminent and deadly weapon and yourself from my presence that's final quinlevin laughed and very coolly poured himself out a glass of whiskey what's the use of quarrelling? by a bit of mistaken heroics you've fired yourself into the midst of my little family circle and exploded maybe you've done some damage but i'm an old bird and i don't scare so easily come now you wouldn't kill me out of hand you're not that kind and so let's be reasonable can i pour you a drink no thanks as you please but you've got to admit that there are two sides to this question if the information in my possession is correct do you see you're a deserter from the army of the united states a word to the nearest private of the military police and you're jugged to do your explaining to a judge advocate you can't you won't do that moira seemed to find her speech with an effort for the rapidity of events and their portentous consequences to her own destiny had robbed her of all initiative but her courage came back with a rush as she faced this man who had deceived her all these years and charmed her even now with his reckless grace and magnetism you won't do that she went on breathlessly i can't permit it i've heard all you said and i've been listening there ah ye heard said quinlevin with a quick glance at her then perhaps it's just as well i would be having to tell you some day and then with quick decision you're not my daughter you're the child of the duc de vautrin as he shot this bolt at her he watched its effect moira grew even paler and stared at him as though he were a person she had never seen before the daughter of the duc de vautrin she stammered that's not true moira broke in jim's voice but you're not his daughter either i'll take my oath on it she glanced at jim as though the deep tones of his voice had steadied her for a moment not his daughter then who she paused and sought quinlevin's eyes uncertainly i've told you the truth my dear it was my crime not to have told you before but that's all you can lay against me that and the love for you that has made the confession difficult moira faltered but barry quinlevin's eyes were upon her alive it seemed with the old affection and across her brain flitted quick visions of their careless past their years of plenty their years of privation in which this man her father she had thought had always loomed the dominant figure reckless perhaps aloof at times but always kindly considerate but there was jim horton just beside her she felt his presence too the strength of him the honesty and the love of her that gave him the courage to face oblivion for her sake the silence was deathly and seemed to have gone on for hours jim did not speak there was harry too standing like a pale image the ghost of her happiness staring at her were they all dumb? Something seemed to be required of her, and her instinct answered for her. She moved toward Jim Horton, her fingers seeking his. I, I love him. She found herself saying. I want you both to know it has all been a horrible mistake. But it's too late to cry over. It has just happened. That's all. I can never love anyone else. Moira whispered. Jim, but I know that that there's nothing to be done i only wanted you to know she finished firmly that anyone who harms him harms me moira jim's voice broke in pleadingly at her ear come away with me now you can't stay here the situation is impossible she felt Barry quinlevin's eyes before he spoke i don't need to remind you moira of your vows at the altar what vows broke in jim fiercely facing his brother a travesty a cruel hoax there's no law that will keep it binding she married me with her eyes open muttered harry and unless i release her stop for god's sake moira's voice found itself in pity for her own humiliation there's no release no hope for either of us there's no divorce except death i ask nothing of you Moira. Jim was pleading again only to go with me away from here tonight for your own self-respect an outcast sneered quinlevin he saw how the game was going but he went too far she turned on him defiantly an outcast she said i would be proud to be facing the world alone with such an outcast as jim harton the shame and the glory of following blindly where my heart was leading me come then said jim no don't you see i can't what harry says is true i'm married with my eyes open i swore to a lie and i've got to abide by that lie i've got to jim for god's sake have pity she sank helplessly into a chair relinquishing his hand all hope all life it seemed had gone out of her jim horton stood regarding her for a moment and then silently walked to the door when he heard her voice again jim she cried despairingly he turned in the doorway and their glances met for a moment will you come moira he asked quietly i can't jim i can't he waited a moment and then laying quinlevin's weapon on the table in front of him turned again and walked out of the door and into the darkness of the corridor end of chapter twelve